Good afternoon, everyone. This is Guy Lemon with the Ryan Lemon Foundation, and my co-host this afternoon is the inimitable Dick Owens. Inimitable. Dick I like that a lot. That's a good. Thing. Not sure what it means. I, I me mean, neither. I'm gonna have to look it up before we leave. Uh, thank you. This is this is great. We've got a great guest today too. Everybody, stay tuned for this one. We're uh, fortunate enough to have uh, coach, but more importantly, or at least more significantly, player Ben Orloff. If those of you that are local fans will recognize Ben as uh, one of the stars of the UCI team as they started their program back. Ben, thanks a lot for being here. Thanks for having me. You know, I know and it just as we've been able to chat a little bit, and I've, I live in Irvine, have for a long time, and so followed the program. But just a little background on your playing side. When I know that UCI had stopped for a long time and then it came back on, were you one of the first teams or, or had the the school been playing for a few years before you came onto the campus? No, the program came back in 2002. Uh-huh. Uh, Coach Savage brought it back, um, and they got really good really quick. Uh, in their third year ever, they made it to the postseason. Um, my first year was 2006, and then 2007 was the year that we won our first playoff game at the Division One level ever. Pretty fun. And where, uh, <laughs> high school, what high school did you play? Simi Valley. Simi Valley, so local. Because I know one of the things we want to get into is the recruiting process, the differences between Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, and you can give us a great perspective, not only as a player, the process that you experienced as a recruit back then, and certainly I know that rules, and you you would know it better than I, that NC2A recruiting rules and playing rules and practicing rules have changed. But tell us a little bit about I, I see you've gotten a lot of awards, an All-American Big West Player of the Year and the Brooks Wallace Award. What 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 is that? What's the background to, to that one? Uh. That year that I got it was the first year that they changed it to a, a shortstop award. And so um, Brooks Wallace was a shortstop. He played at Texas Tech. The awards uh, in his honor, his family's out there at the ceremony. And so that year was the first year that they started giving it to who they deemed the best college shortstop in the country. Wow. <laughs> big okay. time. Big time. That's a big time deal. Shortstop, I mean, beyond the starting pitcher, I would think that people view shortstop, well, there's pitcher. Catcher's pretty important, but the tens of the catcher that you know the the behind the dish doesn't get much notoriety. Shortstop is the guy that gets the most notoriety. They get the most balls in the day. That's a that's a heck of an accomplishment. Was the award given in Omaha? No, it was in Lubbock. Oh, um, oh right, where he was. Yeah, from. yeah, yeah. So it's in Lubbock, and they're building the College Baseball Hall of Fame there. And Barry Larkin was the presenter, and oh. so it's pretty cool. That's oh my great. gosh! What uh, year did you get that award? That was two thousand and nine. So the other guys getting awards at that time were Steven Strasburg, Mike Leak, right. Dustin Ackley. So there was one guy that didn't belong. <laughs> well, we got autographs from all those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. at the very least. But, and tell us about uh, after your college days. How how many years did you play professionally? What was that process like? How did you? When did you get drafted? And and how long did you play professionally? So I got drafted in the ninth round my senior year by the Houston Astros. Uh, played through the middle of the 2013 season um, so I played in the Penn League in Troy New York I played in the South Atlantic League in Lexington played half a season in Lancaster in the California League and then a season and a half in uh, the Texas League in Corpus Christi so the circum I hate to ask the bad news the circumstances by which somebody said we need your uniform back was it injuries was it just a realization by them that 
you weren't going to get a, a chance to to get to the big leagues. What was the what were those final uh, that, that final season like for you? Um, was it injuries or no? No, I actually, I actually quit. I was having a pretty good year and was playing. Uh, wasn't one of the first, second, third round type guys. Um, so my role kind of started to diminish. Oh, Coach right, because younger guys coming up. Yeah, yeah, some of those guys that are Deliner to Shield, some of these other guys that are in the big leagues now are guys that were, were going up that, that needed to play. And so Coach Gillespie kind of approached me about this opportunity about coming back to coach. And so I Coach actually, Gillespie's the head coach at UCI. Correct, yeah, sorry. And had been the head coach at USC for many, many years. Yeah, a long time. Um, and so he actually approached me halfway through the year about, you know, he had an opening, would I be interested in coming back? And so I actually, you know, was fortunate enough to be able to quit and go and have a job, something that I wanted to do right now. Wow, a neat, uh, a neat That's process. Fantastic. So you bring to the UCI program, uh, I, I would think, a unique perspective given your success at their school and your success professionally. I, I can't imagine that happens very often, at, even at the Division One level, where guys are an alumni and then had a great uh, professional experience. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, we, uh, you know, actually everybody else on our staff besides Coach Gillespie all went to school at Irvine, played at Irvine, graduated from Irvine. Um, really? Yeah. I have to believe that's unique at the Division One level to have that many alum. Am I or am I just off base on? That? No, it's it's probably more uncommon than common. I think one of the guys that that you do hear about is Josh Holiday at Oklahoma State, who played at Oklahoma State for his right. dad, came back and took that job, and has done a really good job there. Is there, is there many guys that yeah played like him, like Josh did, that, that that played at their school and now head coach at the school? Is there? Doesn't seem like there's that many. I would think it's probably not. Yeah, I don't think it's a ton. Um, in our sport, I think it's more, yeah. like I said, I think it's more uncommon than common. You're right. seeing Jim Harbaugh do it at Michigan. Right. <laughs> um, well, and I would think, okay, if I'm a player or a prospective player and I'm trying to figure out which school do I want to go to, and if 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 I'm being considered at UCI, I'm probably being considered at several Division One schools, I would think you guys can provide a player a, a really accurate and unique sense of, Here's what it's going to be like at this school. I would think that gives you a recruiting advantage in terms of getting kids that you know when they come, they're really committed. And I don't mean in the in the yeah. in the signature sense, but in the emotional sense. I would imagine you have guys that stay and like the experience because they know what they're getting into. Yeah, we like to think so, and I think you know it does help us in the recruiting process in terms of selling UC Irvine because we lived it, we went to those classes, we played, um, and so it's not talking to a kid in a family of. This is what I think is going to happen. It's like, no, we did this. This is what it's going to look like. This is what the weight room looks like. Um, so it makes it easier to sell that. And definitely, I think, you know, in terms of getting them committed as an all-in to be excited to go to your schools, you know, telling them exactly what it's going to be like and, um, you know, what they can what they can expect once they show up. Well, I know it's a nice yard there that they, they finally developed as they tore out and put in the new one. Has uh, Coach Gillespie, has he been the head coach from when you first – Started back in 06? No, so I played for uh, Coach Dave Serrano for two years. Serrano, right. And then he left and took that job at Fullerton and then on to Tennessee. And so I played two years for Coach Serrano and then two years for Coach Gillespie. I remember, was it was it one of those two years that you guys went to the World Series with Serrano? 2007, Coach Serrano's last Seven, year. Yeah. I, I remember having a chance, and I, it's, this interview is not about me, but I remember Serrano describing, because that year, that was at the old Rosenblatt Stadium, right? That's right. And I know Dave, it had, maybe you could share a little bit of that experience. I know Dave told me, and I won't tell the story, but Dave, by his background at Fullerton, had been to Rosenblatt many times. And anybody that knows college baseball know Rosenblatt is the Holy Grail. 
Omaha is the Holy Grail, but I remember, describe that experience driving up that first time. Dave gave it to me in great length, but it gave me chills as he was describing it. Describe what you, what you remember of that drive up the very first time. Yeah, I remember, I mean, just getting there, and we're driving up there for our practice day, and it's at the top of the hill, and Coach Serrano made us all close our eyes. That's what he told me. Yeah, until yeah. we see the ballpark, and then he said, you know, open your eyes, and your college dreams have come true, and then you see Rosenblatt, and it's, it's pretty cool. No, because I, I, he kind of elevated it to almost it was a uh, a some a semi-religious experience yeah. because of the and I've <laughs> yeah. never seen yeah. I've been to the new Omaha Stadium and it's nice but it's like every other you know my, large minor league stadium but I heard Rosenblatt just had everything about such a unique kind of an old tired wooden facility and and and, and didn't you guys get a police escort into town Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty special and you get on the field and you you know you see the seats in the outfield and you start playing through your head you know all the games that you've seen on TV <laughs> yeah. him and the rest of his staff Right. Uh you know I remember I was with Sergio Brown at our practice day and we were standing in the dugout and he was on one of those Fullerton teams in the 90s, and he's like, I was standing right here when Mark Kotze hit this home run. And so the, the tradition <laughs> of that place is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. No, right. Yeah, I know there was quite the controversy when they moved it over to the new stadium, and it is a nice facility. I've been to the new one, but, I, you know, it's one of those deals. Baseball is a throwback sport. I know there were a lot of people that wished that Rosenblatt was never, was never removed, but I guess the NC2A said if you want to keep it in Omaha, you've got to elevate the, uh, the circumstance. So have you guys made it back? It's all about to, the big bucks, right? Have you guys made it back money. as a coach? Have yeah, you made it back yeah. to Omaha? Yeah, we, we went in 2014. Right. Um, so it was cool to see TD Ameritrade. And it is. It, it's, it's TD Ameritrade's awesome. Um, the facilities for the players underneath, the clubhouse, locker rooms, batting canvas are all awesome. So you could be one of the few guys that could relate Rosenblatt to the to the new stadium. Yeah, pretty lucky. Um, it, it, it's awesome, but you're right. It's a completely different field than, than Rosenblatt's in the middle of that community. and. Right. People are tailgating in people's front yards. You know, I think it's kind of like, you know, Yankee Stadium, how they tore down the old Yankee Stadium, the house that Ruth built with all the tradition and the history, and then they built new Yankee Stadium. I think it's kind of the same, same thing. Same thing. Ameritrade, yeah. Yeah, because the Meritrade is sort of off by itself in an industrial area where Rosenblatt, I mean, literally, it was uh, in the neighborhood. Front- like there the were front days. yards yep. that were literally across, right immediately across from the stadium. Yeah. Well, tell us about UCI. What what make differentiates? Or, well, let me back up. Are you involved in recruiting? Are you the head of recruiting? What's that? What What's your responsibilities as the associate head coach? Yeah, it's heavily involved in, in the recruiting and identifying the players and trying to get them to say yes and come to our school. When does that process start? Do you look? I'm going to be silly here. I hope. I'm, maybe I'm not. <laughs> These days, I don't think so. I, I remember having a conversation <laughs> with Coach Savage many years ago when we sat in the uh, in the new stadium and he was showing me he had a folder and he was describing how he would go look at eighth graders. When When do you start trying to identify players? Uh, hey, it's definitely changed. Um, I don't know about for the better, uh, but it's definitely changed. I mean, we're guys are popping up on the radar in the ninth grade. Some schools, I mean, you can look across the country, and some schools are committing ninth graders, tenth graders, a lot of them. Um, so you start. Are those about, binding commitments? I, I what, no, they're just commitments, right? They're yeah, not, yeah. So it's all it's all verbal until next week. Actually, will be a early signing period, and so you can't sign until November of your senior year. And so then once you sign, then that becomes a Binding deal. And at that point, the school is obligated to the player. The player is obligated to that school. It's a, it's a unilateral uh, sort of relationship. Correct. Right. So when do you start trying to track players? Uh, you, you or your or like UCI? Said, we, we start identifying them in the ninth grade. Um, we're not freshmen. Typically, yeah, making offers to ninth graders. But um, you start hearing about kids and knowing who they are and start tracking them and seeing them. 
it's scary. It's scary because, you know, you're trying to predict what these kids are going to be at 18, Which, 19, 20, 21, 22. Sure. I mean, a guy may be 5'7 and quick, but he's 5'7. And I mean, you're not a big guy. So so you don't – that's the beauty. Well, of course, Altuve is a perfect example for right. the Astros. Right. He can be just, just a couple of clicks above a midget, and and, and here he is, uh, may, may be the World Series MVP the way the thing is playing out. But, uh, yeah, how do you do that process? Of, I mean, obviously you project where a kid is physically. That's part of it, but I mean, you just keep tracking them. How how often will you see a guy as a freshman? Uh, not a lot as a freshman. It's typically for us more of that is just collecting names. Um, you know, maybe if it's a local player, you'll go check on them. Um, but I think that early in the process for us is just more collecting names, putting them in lists, so that when they have a couple more birthdays, you go back in there and, and see if they're still more. if they're progressing yeah. as you might have expected. I mean, one one thing that that Ben does is that. Uh, they come out to the Ryan Lemon League, right, in the fall and, and look at all the kids. And, and with that many kids out there, and there's some freshmen out there that are playing. If they're playing on on fall right now, they, they're probably pretty decent. So it's uh, it's a good thing. Yeah, I'll put in a little plug for the Ryan Lemon League. Why not? <laughs> we have, as, as Ben knows, we have uh, 24 teams playing in a varsity league, not more than about five minutes away from UCI Stadium at the Ryan Lemon Stadium. And then we also have our Futures League, which is uh, freshman guys. Do you ever go out and see any of the, the freshman games? I haven't. I haven't gone out and yeah. seen the Futures games. But, but you do go see some of the uh, the varsity games there? Yeah, we're out there a bunch um, during the week. And like I said, it's, it's so local for us. Sure, it's, it's been, easy. It's been a yeah, home game for us. <laughs> Get a Subway sandwich and, hey, honey, I'll be home in an hour yeah. and see some guys. Yeah, that's right. So that league's been awesome for us just in terms of, you know, it's easy to access. You can see guys every week because that's what I think, you know, is tough in the recruiting process is you can never see guys enough. And, you know, you don't like to have to make a decision on a guy on one, one at time at. or two times or three times. And so that league's enabled people to, you know, go back every week and see a guy, you know, multiple times. Well, you know, that's probably a good point. I'm a player. I'm worried about getting recruited. Do I worry about success in an individual game? Do I try and be the same every game? What would be your recommendation to a player if, if he hopes to be recruited in that regard? Worry about a single game? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's – it's not all about the results. You know, the people that are out there evaluating kids, it's about, you know, how does the body look? How does the body work? What's the swing look like? How do the actions look on defense? So it's not always about, the res- you know, if they get a hit or they don't get a hit or they give up a hit on the mound or they strike a guy out. So it's more about, you know, the process versus I got two hits today, I'm going to get a college scholarship. <laughs> do, do you ever, I've always wondered as a dad, my son played a long time ago, I used to always think that pregame was a, a, a pretty good way to evaluate a kid's defensive capability. As much, does he ever make a, a good hard throw, but but just the way he carries himself. Do you put much stock in how a guy goes through the process of a pregame? Yeah, I love infield outfield. I love pregame infield outfield. I think, to your point, I think I agree with you 100%. It's the best time to evaluate guys on defense. How do they catch the ball? How do they throw it? How do their feet work? Where you could watch a game or two games or three games, and if you're the the shortstop, you're the third baseman, a ball might not get hit to you. Um, yeah, so, during the hour and a half that you're there. Yeah, right. yeah. so the, right. the pregame infield outfield becomes a, a big deal, and for those kids to treat it game-like, that this might be your opportunity to you know really show somebody, because outside of that, you're trying to evaluate the balls that get rolled to them between innings or how the center fielder throws with the left fielder between innings. Because yeah, right. Ball, they might not have to make a throw in the game, and you're trying to make your evaluation on well, so that's at least one tip. I know I, you know, I always wonder when guys go out and do pregames because they do it so frequently that I think some players say, yeah, it's pregame. And then other guys, I think, realize, no, this may be, as you point out, the only four balls I'm going to get where I can showcase my talent. And because as a scout, you try and get 
as a recruiting guy, try and get to games in advance of the the first pitch? Yeah, almost almost all the the guys that at our level will get to games early to try to watch guys even before pregame infield outfield. Watch them play catch, watch them stretch, and see as much as you can about a kid and see their demeanor. Yeah, and even Coach Gillespie tells our guys all the time. You know, we take pregame infield outfield every day. He says exactly what you said that it's a chance for you to show off. Uh, Take it serious. Yeah. I mean, it's the the old adage, you never know who's watching, right? Although these days, (laughs) I think every parent knows every uh, college recruiter that that comes through there. (laughs) What what are the rules in terms of you guys being able to reach out to a player and say, hey, Johnny, I want you to come to our school, as opposed to I'm Johnny the player and I want to go to UCI? Are there NC2A rules that differentiate who can talk to who when? Yeah, so now it's, it's kind of changed in the last, I guess, 18 months. September 1st of a kid's junior year is the first time that we can initiate con- uh, communication, that we can text them, we can call them. I guess some people maybe Instagram them or Twitter them. Uh, <laughs> so September 1st, their junior year, is the first time that we can be the ones to initiate contact. Before that, all the contact has to be initiated from the kid or the parent. And um, if we miss the phone call... We're not allowed to call them back if we miss if they text us. We can't text them back. So there's a lot of so it has wow. to be it has to be right right at the same time, and you have to be able to accept that call. Right? Yeah, that's an interesting little thing. So if I'm a parent or a player and I'm not a junior, don't think because they don't get a return phone call that they're blown being blown off. It's that I and I know from 20 years ago the rules of recruiting process are very very different. What they used to be is irrelevant. It's what they are today, and there are very strict requirements of, of that communication process yeah oh yeah yeah and, it's, and it's, it's if i'm a sophomore and i reach out to you and i call and you call me back or we talk are you then allowed to have back and forth or does every contact have to be initiated by the parent or player yeah if they're a freshman or sophomore every communication has to be initiated, initiated by, by them by them let, yeah. let me let me good point right there should the parent be calling you hey we'd, we'd rather talk to the kids um i think i would think i think right? the I think once the recruiting process starts getting serious, I think it's important for the family to, to play a role in that. Uh, and I think it's important for them to have communication. But I think the the kids are going to be the ones that, when they get to college, dealing with the coaches on a day-to-day right. basis. So I think it's a good practice for them on you know being adults and learning how to talk to adults and, and that sort of stuff. What, what about uh, grades and that sort of thing? What, what are the standards? That, I mean, imagine at UCI, it's pretty high standards. If I'm a, if I'm a player... SATs, ACTs, grade point average, where, where are you kind of in terms of minimums and averages that you look for in terms of a, a young man's academic process? Uh, hey, we always tell guys they got to do the best they can. Um, you know, we don't have hard numbers that you, you know, you, you have to hit this. There's a lot that goes into the the uh, admissions process besides test scores, GPA. Uh, test scores, GPA are obviously really, really important. Um, and so I think for wherever a kid's going to go to, to take care of business in the classroom, to not limit yourself on um, schools that you might be able to attend based on your performance in the classroom. Now, if I, if I go to UCI, can I get academic money as well as if you guys give me a little bit of uh, money as well? Uh, our, our school typically, typically we don't have that, that academic money because with it being a, a public school, okay. um, typically the schools with the typically uh, with the academic money or the more private institutions right. have more access to that academic money right so i know the rules have changed there uh you've got when the roster is starts in mid-january how many guys will be on the team traveling uh well at the division one level you're allowed to have 35 players on your roster uh we have the dollar equivalent of 11.7 scholarships for that roster um and then this year 
as in the last couple of years, you're, you're only allowed to have 27 of those 35 players on scholarship. And is there a maximum? If I'm if I'm a pitcher that throws 99 miles an hour and every pitch is a strike, so I'm I'm the perfect player. Is there a limit as to how much money is a percentage of the total package, or or can I get a hundred percent scholarship if I'm that good? If you say you won't get drafted and sign, we'll give you a hundred percent. So you you can get you can get up to a hundred percent in our or sport, and the, the smallest scholarship that you can get is twenty five percent if you're on scholarship. Oh, I see. Because I had thought there was there's only eleven point seven, right? So there's not it's not a lot of a uh, lot of money divvied up between twenty seven guys now, right? So, yeah, instead yeah. of thirty five. Yes, yeah, so you can't pass out too many hundred percent. Right. <laughs> but it's not like you know the, the basketballs, the footballs. You can only offer a hundred percent. Right. Oh, that's an important. So how many guys, without getting into percentages yeah. of of so you said maximum number of people that can get money is twenty five. Twenty seven. Twenty seven. How, how many players, and if the minimum is, i got to do the math here, I'm a bean counter at heart. So if the minimum is 25%, how many players are getting some scholarship funds, would you guess, on this year's team? Uh, I think it's going to be different with every school. Um, I think typically... Well, like at UCI this year, what I mean, without getting into specifics, just 20, we'll, we'll, 20 we'll have, guys are getting money? We'll have closer to 27 than 20, uh, um, and part of that is just... You know, you like to spread it around. Well, everybody's, you know, our school is cost less than some of the private schools right. and so uh, typically the schools that, that cost less money can don't have to offer as many 75 85 90 percent scholarships because the oh. school in itself is more affordable sure Stanford so, is a different situation than than whatever the least expensive right yeah so I think some of the, yeah some of the more expensive institutions typically are going to have less guys on scholarship because they have to offer I mean, yes, you, you see schools are going to be more expensive than the state schools Correct. right so Correct. Fullerton oh, right. and so UCI are going to sure. be different from a, from a dollar standpoint of going there. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you when you recruit, I guess it's obvious you're not just on physical talent, but it's the monetary obligation to mom and dad. And mom and dad may love to come to UCI, but they can't afford it. And you guys can only offer forty percent, and they can't make up the shortfall. And so it falls off their list, or on the reverse, they can't afford it, and so they'll they'll consider it even more. Yeah, yeah, that happens for sure. So when this, this November, and it's coming up, you said in just a couple of November weeks, 8th. November eighth, coming up. Yeah. Will will you have finished your recruiting by November fifteenth when kids all sign, or do you hold out three or four scholarships until June? What's that, what's that process? Uh, I, I think I think us like everybody else. I think you recruit year round. Um, you know you. You're constantly evaluating your roster and your needs. And then for us, we've only been in school for a month now, and so we're still the new players on campus, you know, evaluating those guys, and, you know, your needs change. And then obviously in June, we're always going up against the draft, and so yeah, you're trying to you predict out, or, or, you know, your juniors, is he going to get drafted and signed? Is he going to be back for his senior year? Injuries always play a role in that. So I think you're, you're recruiting year-round, and, you know, you're never done until the guys all get to campus and school starts. <laughs> and... and, and how many will you sign this next week or so? Uh, I don't know. If we're Hopefully, talk sign about the initial numbers. Well, I don't know uh, about the numbers, well, but well, it'll be a smaller class for us. It's you know, it's typically about for everybody. Right. How many guys do you lose? How many guys do you have to bring in? Right. So, um, so and so you know, I think uh, to get to that thirty-five yeah, number, right? Yeah. So it might be this year, it might be six and seven, yeah, or next, next year, year it could be ten or eleven. Right. So based on anything. who you lose and what right. you need. Absolutely. I know it's pretty rarefied air, and there's, there's going to be very few listeners that this is relevant to, but it's always interesting. When you sign guys each year, say, say last year or, or the last two years, where you've, okay, Joey's coming to my school, he's committed, we've signed the documentation, and damn, I lose him to the draft. And as a, as a graduating senior, he decides to sign professionally. Over the last two years, how many players have you lost 
to the draft as a, as a senior in high school? Just, just one. Just one just in one, the last yeah. two years. Because yeah. I would imagine there's a little bit of that balancing act, too, that you don't want to get a top first-round pick because th- th- in all likelihood he's you may dedicate that number, but you, you lose him. So do you guys try and find that magic sweet spot to find a guy that's good enough but but not necessarily going to take the, the uh, pro draft money? Yeah, I think it's a that's delicate act. Yeah, that's part of it. You know, you're trying to get the best players possible. Um, when you get some of the best players possible, you realize that the draft potentially could impact that. And, you know, hopefully you've tried to forecast out of, do we think we're going to lose this guy? Do we think we're going to get him? You know, as time goes on, you kind of have a better feel in April, May, June than maybe you do this time of the year. But you're constantly, you know, that's what makes this, this sport and recruiting this sport a little bit unique. You know, you sign a guy in basketball or football. You sign a guy in football, he's going to your school for three years. Um, our sport, when you commit the top players, that's something you deal with. Do you ever do do ever is the wrong word? Do you very often have uh, junior college guys that come, or do you mostly rely on getting incoming freshmen? Uh, we like the junior college players. Oh. Uh, I think if you look on our roster, I, I should be able to tell. You. I can't tell you off the top of my head, but we have six, seven, eight junior college guys on our team. I think in our conference, you see a good amount of junior college guys in our conference, and I think the junior college route for a lot of kids is a, is a really good route. It's a good way to go, especially around here. I mean, this is as good a baseball as you'll find for junior colleges, okay. that's for sure, no doubt about it. So in the fall right now, tell me about your, not yours, but the team's fall experience. If I'm a player and I've been recruited and I'm committed to play UCI and I've now been in school for a month, what, what's my uh, baseball time commitment? Two hours a day, four no, hours so, a day? No, so the NCAA right now, when we're in official practice, what we're in right now, they give us 20 hours a week. Um, so we're Of allowed... coach interaction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we'll use about four of those in the weight room and about 16 of them on the field. And how many weeks does that is that allowed? So we started, it goes like six weeks in the fall. And so we started in the middle of October, and we'll go until the, the Friday before Thanksgiving. So that's a little bit longer. We were just uh, earlier, we had talked with the Division three coach. You guys get a longer window of time, so there is a differentiation between Division One and Division Three, in terms of the player interaction that a coach has. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But in, but before that twenty-hour segment, we were in a an eight-hour segment where we were only allowed two hours a week of what they call skill instruction, beating around and coaching the players, and then mm-hmm. the other six they could spend in the weight room or on the track or stuff like that. On their own, or is a coach allowed to be there as well? The coach could be there for those eight hours. Ah. Uh, and, and so if I'm a player and those are the minimum, is there an expectation to spend more time weightlifting skill exercise beyond the coach-player thing? I mean, what's the typical, if you talk to a recruit, hey, Johnny, from from September through December, how many hours a week should I expect to commit to some aspect of baseball? I mean, once we get going right now, we, we typically practice Monday through Friday for three hours. Um, Saturday for two or three hours. Um, but we like to recruit guys that like to play baseball. I think everybody you know, wants guys that love to play, and a big piece of why these guys go to school is to play baseball. I mean, not to downplay the academic side, which is you know, of the utmost importance, but there's a lot of guys that stay after and hit, come early and hit, do that sort of stuff you know, on their own. That's great. That's great. Um, question for you on, on I'm a parent. Right, and, and uh, I want to have my kid go to a D1 school, and I'm looking at UCI or looking at one of the other ones. Um, I can contact you anytime, correct? And only you can only answer during the period that's available. Um, what happens 
after their junior year. In other words, you can talk to them. You can do whatever. Uh, can they come to the campus and, and go to a camp? Is that if my kid wants to do that, can he come to a camp? Is that what I would do? Yeah, yeah. And so almost probably every school's got their camps that they run. Right. Um, and I think the camps are a great deal for, for kids that come to these universities and get to play in front of the coaches, get to see the coaches interact with their players. Um, so I think the, the college camps become a, a really good avenue for those kids. And I think our sport's changing a little bit uh, from the standpoint the parents are out there. Um, it's all about getting scholarships. What is what is kind of your take uh, as a as a head coach with what's going on with kids playing, starting at eight years old, playing travel ball, playing every week, double headers on Saturday. Uh, in some cases, some of these guys, some of the kids are playing three games a day, uh, which I find is just incredible. What's the take there? I mean, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, you're you're definitely right. I think uh, you know these kids are playing all year round. Uh, everywhere, and I think, you know, I, th- I think that that's important that, that we don't neglect the, the training and the, you know, improving your game, and, you know, a lot of that comes through practice, comes through hitting in the cage by yourself, comes from working out, comes from taking ground balls. That doesn't always come from the tournament that you play six games and three days in. Right. And so I think there's a, there's a balancing act, and, um, you know, kids too, I think it's good to be a kid. You don't have to play baseball right. exactly. every day at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, you know, I think there's some value to be a kid and, yep. you know, obviously not let it impact what you do in school. And I, and I know typically you guys uh, seem to, anyway, recruit a lot of athletes, not just the baseball player, but guys that play multiple sports. I mean, there's not a lot of those out there anymore. I might play uh, maybe football and, and baseball, maybe basketball and, and, and baseball. Um, do you think that's important from, from a parent standpoint? Is my kid okay playing Two sports, I want to get him down to just one sport in high school. I mean, I think everybody likes the, the multi-sport athlete. When you can recruit kids that are athletes, right. you think they have the you know ability to, to learn, do multiple things. Um, and I think it's good to prevent that burnout. Um, there comes a time probably where kids you know, choose one sport maybe, but I mean, that's not a, a fear of a college coach. If somebody's playing, you know, they're too good of an athlete, they're playing too many sports. Yeah, there's too many parents that think that that's they got to start right now I'm in, in eighth grade and and, uh, and and before that I mean I, I see kids now that think they're going to be drafted uh, in the MLB at, at eight years old and parents are just I mean it's delusional um, it's just amazing to me how what's gone on typically you guys play how many games 50 56, 56 okay and that's division one pretty much across the board yeah and then you guys have the regional then super regional and then on to the big big show right that's right okay and i think that's i mean it's amazing I and mean, when we sit out here big west is one of the big best conferences probably in the country no doubt great baseball southern california we have great teams here great athletes uh you recruit pretty much out of southern california you recruit out of state if i look at your roster right now is there going to be any kid there from texas or georgia or florida or new york or new jersey or something or not if you look at our roster right now i think we're all california um and like what you said, there's there's a ton of really really good players in California, right. um, and so you know we want to we want to try to fish where the fish are, and you know <laughs> to to go and, and know who the who the good players are. So you're not necessarily going out of state to go look for somebody, or or not. I mean, uh, I mean obviously not, you guys look. Yeah, yeah, not generally, but you know I think anybody if there's a player from wherever that you think can help you, I think right. anybody's going to go pursue them. So if I'm from Oklahoma and I think UCI might be a fit for me, best thing to do is to just 
contact you? Do I send in? I mean, another big thing in recruiting these days, or at least it seems to be with the parents and, and so on, is, you know, I send you a tape, highlight reel or whatever. Is that, do you guys look at that? I mean, is that something that you really look at and go, yeah, this is really good? Yeah, it's I mean, done professionally or whatever it might be? Does yeah, I think, we all, I think we all get those emails with the information and the videos. Right. and um, I think the majority of people probably look at them. I think, you know, I think it might mean more coming from, coming from your high school coach or coming from a, you know, uh, your travel ball coach, maybe more than from you and your mom and your dad, maybe right. and somebody right. that's a sponsor speaking in, right. you know, in your favor. Right. So you guys look at that and recruiting services are out there these days. Um, trying to, trying to help, uh, athletes, uh, get into your school or whatever school it might be. Do you take credit in those? I mean, is that something you guys look for at some of these, is there outfits one better than another, or you just kind of just take it with a grain of salt and you kind of know who's a little bit better than the others? Yeah, I mean, I kind of all of the above. I mean, if, if you know you're with this recruiting thing, it's so competitive that you know you're you're exploring all the avenues and right. you're trying to find the good players, and you know they can come from from wherever and however you find them is is good. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're running out of time here, so I, I hate to do this. We're gonna have to have to leave. I I don't want to do it. Uh, maybe we can get you back again at some point. Love to do that uh, if you're willing to come back and and are available. I know you're a busy guy. So the signing period, the signing uh, is November 7th, 8th is the date, okay? So we'll be looking forward to that and see who UCI signs. Tell us how people can get a hold of you. What's If they want to get a hold of you, uh, an email address that you could give them. Yeah, uh, it's B-O-R-L-O-F-F at UCI.edu. That, that'll get them directly to you, and you can answer them from there. And they can you can answer them this time of year now. You can if answer the rules right, allow. if the rules allow, yeah, right? Yeah. And there's dead periods in that. And, yeah. and I'm sorry we haven't really gotten into some of those things. But uh, there's a dead period now or is it coming up? Starting when that signing period starts. When that signing period yeah. starts, right? Until, and that's for how long? It goes until March that we can't go off campus to recruit. Right. So then after that, you can come go back out and, and see players play. And typically through the summer or yeah, no? Yeah, it kind of goes. I mean, there's some gaps, gaps there, in between, right? From March <laughs> until now. Because NCAA throws, I think, a dart at a at a calendar and says, "Okay, this week I think we'll be <laughs> we're going to have a dead period." I don't know. I haven't figured that one out yet. It changes, changed so much. Ben, thank you so much for being here. This is fantastic, and and we really appreciate you uh, being here. For the people out there, uh, you can get a hold of me at Dick at RyanLemonFoundation dot com. Uh, look at our website, uh, RyanLemonFoundation dot com. Obviously, if you're listening to this, we're on iTunes or you're listening it through our website or you're listening through OC Talk Radio, uh, which airs every every Wednesday uh, at 6 o'clock. So uh, you can always listen to the podcast then and at your leisure anytime you want. If you have any questions on podcasts, uh, people you'd like to hear from, questions you'd like answered, uh, you know, send it to me and we'll certainly look it up uh, next time that we're on the air. That's it for us today. Got it. We always uh, we always say keep swinging for the fences. Thank you everybody.